to Labor Pains Podcast brought to you by Women Connect and Support. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. This podcast is a place where I help men and women share their stories of struggles of infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. We share those stories to give you hope to let you know that you are not alone if you are struggling or have had a loss. I hope that this story today inspires you and gives you hope. It inspired me. Shannon and her husband Brian have endured a lot, a lot of loss. They have fought through that and are continuing to fight to have a family here on earth to love. I hope Shannon will inspire you to keep going, to not give up hope, and to know that there is hope beyond the struggle and the grief. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am excited to introduce my guest today. Uh, she is someone that I have not personally met, but just was connected with her, found each other out on Facebook, on social media. So I'd like to introduce to you, Shannon. Welcome, Shannon. Hi. <laughs> I'm so glad that we got connected and I got to hear a little bit of your story. But I'm, I'm excited for the listeners to hear your entire story along with me. So the same question that I always ask uh, my, my um, guest is, did you, when did you decide that you wanted children or did you always want to have children? I actually did not always want oh, to have children. Oh, okay. Um, when I wasn't like, you know, that young person that was like, oh, I can't wait to have kids <laughs> or that mother instinct yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Like I didn't really have mm-hmm. it. Um, I was always told that that would change, like, when I got older and I met somebody, you know, and all that stuff. But um, I struggled with a lot of issues with alcohol and drugs in my teens. So I wasn't really thinking about Mm -hmm. it then. And we moved probably, like, as soon as I graduated from high school, um, I moved to Illinois with my mom. um, And I fell back into the same kind of pattern with drugs and alcohol in my early 20s as well. So I didn't really think about it then, and I wasn't really finding anybody that, you know, I wanted to be with or anything like that. So I started college and went about my way. Um, So I didn't meet my now husband, Brian, until I was in my early 30s. Okay. And by then, I kind of had my life together and stuff like that. But I still hadn't really thought about having kids because I just hadn't really met anybody that I wanted to be with so it just had never really crossed my mind so I was kind of like either way like I wasn't thinking about it but I guess maybe one day it might happen um and then when I got with him like of course falling in love and getting all googly <laughs> over that person I was like oh I think I want kids oh okay <laughs> so yeah so he definitely changed my mind on wanting children that's okay. for sure okay and you said that was in your 30s you guys you guys yes met. we met when I was 31 maybe just turned 32 okay. right around yeah. there in my yes 
sometime in my early 30s. Okay. So tell us how you, um, how that all transpired then to decide to start a family or when did you decide to start a family? Um, or was see. it like, oops, we... we're pregnant. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Okay. Oops. It was, well, once we moved in together, you know, like our little starter place, it was just a little apartment to make sure that we could stand each other. <laughs> uh, then we didn't want to have a kid there because it was, it was super tiny, like super mm-hmm. duper tiny. Um, so once we moved out to Festus where I'm at now, we rent a house, had more space and we, we wanted to wait also until I was not part-time with the post office, even though I was part-time and working a lot of hours still, like I was working full-time hours. Um, like nothing was technically guaranteed sure. with that. Um, so I worked a lot of hours and I wanted to save up like time off and stuff for maternity mm-hmm. leave, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so then that's when we decided like we're in a good place, you know, we're ready to all that okay. good stuff. And then did you have so, any struggles getting pregnant, some infertility? Um, no, not at all. Okay. Actually, so I stopped my birth control like in December and I was pregnant in Oh January. my goodness. Okay. I know. So it happened really fast. And you know, like I didn't I was like, hey, anyways, here it's gonna take a few months for that to work its course, get out of your system, all this stuff. And I don't know why, like I wasn't late or anything. I just randomly, I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a test and see just for the heck of it. Like I was still really early. I hadn't missed a period or anything. It was just like one of those spur of the moments. I'm just going to pee on a stick. Yeah. (laughs) And I turned up pregnant. Wow. I know. So it happened super fast. Like, and it's kind of that way with our, my mom, my sister, like we have no struggles getting pregnant at all. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, that's good. Yeah. So yeah. you ended up, you were pregnant. Tell us about the pregnancy. Um, so I was about five, I don't know, five and a half weeks, five weeks, somewhere right around there. Um, when I took that test and then I just, you know, called the doctor and then they had, they had me come in and they did a blood draw just to check my levels and, um, everything was good. I went back home about a week later, I started bleeding and cramping really mm. heavy, um, had a lot of clots that I passed. Like I had never experienced this before. Like I just knew that that was a miscarriage. Um, so I went to my doctor, I told her, you know, about it and everything. And, you know, she apologized for it. And I'm so sorry that this is happening. And they took, um, labs just to watch my levels go down Mm -hmm. um and then I get a call like well you you know you do one and then I did two days later I did another one or a few days later I did another one to keep like because the numbers were still up there which was normal like so they were waiting for them to drop so I get a call like a week later and my numbers are going up So they scheduled a ultrasound for me and that was at about seven weeks, okay. like a little over seven weeks and there was a heartbeat. Oh. So I was still pregnant and then there was a, there was a little um, extra like sack in there and they said I had a subchorionic hematoma, um, which is a sack of blood that's oh. in there. 
like on okay. the lining, and that's where that had come from. So there was a chance that I it could like absorb into my body, or I could bleed okay. again. So that was stressful and nerve wracking just because that first time was so traumatizing. I remember calling my mom on the ride home, like after the first ultrasound, like she didn't know I was pregnant or anything to tell her that I had miscarried and then, you know, called to tell them that I had <sighs> miscarried. Yeah. And, uh, yes. So we were really excited then, but I always had cramping and everything. Um, but when I went back in for a nine week ultrasound, mm-hmm. there was no heartbeat that time. Um, measurements were still normal. So it wasn't like, I mean, it was only a couple of weeks, but everything looked normal. So it just had happened sometime, you know, between the last ultrasound and, and that one. Um, and they had asked me if I wanted to, um, take a pill and I forget what it's called. Mm -hmm. I think it starts with an M to help move it along faster or I could do a DNC if I wanted to, or I could um, wait for it to happen natural. Sure. Um, so I opted to take the pill to try to, you know, help it along faster, which was in its own a traumatizing experience yeah. because I went to Walgreens to get the medication. And then when you're standing there in line, they ask you in front of people like to, you know, if you're, are you pregnant? Because this can cause, you know, you to lose the baby. I forget how they ask it. I think they just ask if you're pregnant and they explain why. And you have to, like, stand, yeah. you know. It's just, like, awkward thing to be asked. Like, because it's also what they give. It's also, like, the abortion Oh, pill. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, right. I mean? Right. Yeah. So, the whole, that whole thing was just awkward. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, I took that, I took that medication Um, I remember it making me cramp really bad. I didn't have any crazy bleeding with it, just like some regular bleeding. I don't remember if I got a lab or if I had another ultrasound to see if everything cleared out or so. I don't remember what it was, Um, but it wasn't. Oh. So I still hadn't passed Uh. everything. I was like, well, you've got to be kidding me. So I opted for the DNC just because I just wanted it to be over. I wanted life to go back to normal. I wanted to start healing. Um, so I went and did that. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom went with me on that one and, you know, you just go to sleep, you wake up, you're all done. I had really bad cramping for like, they said you could have cramping for up to 12 days. I had it the entire oh, 12 days. Yeah. It was yeah. That's hard. But I've always had, I've always had heavy periods and heavy cramping. So I figure that's just probably part of that in sure. my body. Sure. I don't know. So what you I needed did. to uh, wait a while, probably. Yeah, I think my doctor wanted me to wait two mm-hmm, periods. Mm-hmm. So two menstrual cycles, and then she said I could start up again. And I know it's different, like with sure. different doctors, but that was like her recommendation. And whenever I was mentally ready, absolutely, as well. absolutely. <clears throat> and of course, I was mentally like ready right away. Okay. I I feel like, um, I mean. You know, I was sad and I was down about it. And I joined some Facebook groups like um, about miscarriage or loss, uh-huh. um, things like that. I went looking just to find. And I think the reason I started looking into that is the app that I had downloaded for while I was pregnant had a place for you to click. Like if you had a miscarriage, 
Um, and they offered up support and different things like that. And that's kind of what got me into looking on Facebook uh-huh. and stuff. Um, just to talk to other people going through, you know, the same thing. Yeah. And I think as women, so. we definitely need that support. You know, we need to, we need to know just to heal ourselves that we're not alone in this, which most women feel that, um, and that, you know, the percentage of miscarriage is really high, you know, um, and to find mm-hmm. that support is really important. You know, it's a, almost a must to, uh, for women, you know, to find that support. So that's, yeah, yeah I'm glad that you seek that out and found some support to help you so that then you could try again right away. Yeah. And I don't even, I don't even know. I may have not waited the two cycles. Okay. I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I know I waited at least uh-huh. one and I felt like, you know, that it was a very normal cycle. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah. I got pregnant again okay. and that one, I'm trying to think I've had five miscarriages and a stillbirth. Okay. So I'm trying to remember what order they were all in. Yeah. So I had that miscarriage, um, early on, like, I think it was like six weeks. I had the heavy bleeding, you know, the cramping. Um, I think I've been at work for most of my miscarriages, which that does suck. It does. Um, so I went home with that one and, you know, just laid on the couch until my husband got home and let him know, you know, that I was miscarrying again. And I did like, they checked my levels Mm -hmm. and they, they were dropping and stuff. Um, and then my doctor had asked me if I wanted to, usually they wait, they say they wait until you've had three miscarriages to do like a heavy, you know, workup. Um, And she asked if I was interested in doing it now just to check. And I was like, yes, like, let's do it. So I got a whole list of labs. Like I got, I don't know, this lupus panel. I wrote a few down. Some DRVVT screen. Like, I don't know what half of these are. (laughs) Some, like, phospholipid Uh things. A couple of beta things. A TSH reflex with a T4F. A factor V something, I think, which checks, like, clotting Uh stuff. uh Um, a factor two one. And then I got the MTHFR, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't know, a bunch of big words that I don't remember what they stand for. Um, and that one, I did have a single mutation. It was like the A1298C, which in the things on that, like it says that it's not connected with miscarriages. Mm. So then I spent a lot of time researching that. Because everywhere you look and every person you talk to, you get different answers. Like, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of research on it. Like, nobody really knows, like, what's going on with it. Or they just have these ones that they say are, like, related to miscarriage and not. And they they have all these different types. So I was supposedly the good one. But everything I feel like I read, my body didn't break down, um like break things down like other bodies do. Um, I'm trying to think of one of the things in prenatals. Crap, I can't think of it. (laughs) Um, But anyways, like my body didn't break that down right. So I felt like I should be on methylfolated, um, like prenatals where it's already like the broken down form that's in there. So it goes straight into your bloodstream. So your body's not required to break it down. 
Um, those are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like if your body's not normal, you pay a lot of money. But, but um, whose body whose so body I is think- normal? <laughs> we all have if you're if your body's not what they consider yeah. like yeah <laughs> yeah um they charge you a yeah. lot yeah okay so I started taking those um I had my homocysteine levels checked which I now have a high risk factor mm-hmm. as well but um at the time I didn't know this like I didn't get this level taken till later but supposedly if those levels are good then your body breaks down the stuff just okay fine. But there's no there's no harm in taking the methylfolated folic acid. That's oh, what okay. I'm to think of. Yeah. Um, there's no harm in taking it where it's already broken down. So I just stuck with with taking those. Sure. Well, um, then you knew for and, sure that you know your body would be able to absorb that better by taking that. Yeah. They're just yeah. There's no you can't right. hurt anything yeah. by taking it except for your wallet, I guess. <laughs> so I just stuck sure. with. Sure. taking those um and I don't remember when we decided like you know we're going through quite a bit of time during this because you have a miscarriage your body has to heal from it you have to heal from it and then you have to start trying again and that time it took us about six months which felt like an eternity sure. for me yeah um which isn't always to most people <laughs> Um, it took about six months to get pregnant again. And I think it was mainly just being stressed yes. out, trying to get pregnant, like was, I feel like really keeping us from getting pregnant. And once I finally kind of like chilled out, settled down, just let it happen. Boom. Okay. It happened. So, um, I got pregnant. Like I, t- I took the test early by then I was like a serial tester. <laughs> <laughs> like you know every just, month you want to know and you want to jump on things as fast as you can so I went into the doctor probably like at five weeks um they did an ultrasound they did do an early uh transvaginal ultrasound I didn't see anything I saw the staff but I didn't see anything but when they went and watched the video back or whatever they did see a little heartbeat in there a little a little okay. flicker so that made me really excited, but nervous all at once. Um, so they checked my progesterone and that was kind of low. So they put me on progesterone pills. Um, and we kind of just, you know, there's really nothing else to do, but yeah, kind of wait. So with all of the testing um, and everything that um, they did at that time, did they do anything... Um, for you besides giving you the vitamins that your body, the um, amino acids, was that what you said? Folic acid. Is that what you said? So that your body would absorb that. Was there anything else? Did you have to have injections or or anything else to hold that pregnancy because of the test results they got? No. Okay. Okay. Mm -mm. Nope. All my test results pretty much. They were good. Okay. Good, except for that MTHFR one. And like I said, the kind I had, um, I didn't have my high risk doctor okay. at that time. Okay. But the kind I had, they said weren't, you know, connected to. So the only thing I did to ease my mind some was I stayed on the the methylfolate, like the methylfolated 
okay. prenatals. I think it's like Thorn or yeah. something like that. I can't remember okay. what the brand is. But, um, and my OB was fine with that. She said, you know, like that doesn't hurt anything. Um, I just came in to the doctor more often for ultrasounds. Okay. So I think I had, well, I didn't even make it to my next ultrasound before I had bleeding mm. and cramping. So I started bleeding heavy and cramping. Um, I stayed at work throughout it because I was like, well, there's not anything I can do yeah. about it. Um, I just called the doctor, let them know. Um, I don't remember if they, I think they just had me do labs maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and my numbers, my numbers were still going okay. up. Good. So I think I came in around seven weeks again and had an ultrasound. Um, I had, you know, cramping the entire time. Like I, every single day I had cramping. So I was for sure that after those labs were going up, like every time that I would have cramps, which was constant, yeah. <laughs> I was for sure that I was getting ready yeah. to miscarry. Um, and I didn't, I went in at seven weeks or right around there and I did an ultrasound and everything looked great. Um, they did, I'm trying to make sure I'm not mixing this up. They did see another spot in there where they thought like I could have either had another sack or it was another hematoma in there. So they weren't sure. Um, but when I went back in at, I don't know, eight or Mm -hmm. nine weeks, um, it was gone. Hmm. I was, I wasn't bleeding anymore. Um, I always had cramping still like not severe cramps, just like slight Uh cramps, but things were, things were progressing fine. I was nauseous all the time. (laughs) Uh, so I was miserable in that form of it. As far as like, I just felt like I needed to throw up every minute of every every day, Gosh, girl! but I never actually did. Um, Cramping and morning sickness. I think, (laughs) I know. I think I just, I think I had told my sister I was pregnant, but I hadn't told my parents yet just because I wanted sure. to wait, like, and in case, you know, because it had always been a bad ending. <clears throat> so I was stressed out a lot and worried all the time. And um, I think my next ultrasound that I went, I don't even think I went for another one after that. You know, they're like, things are going going like fine let's just go ahead and not set one up until your anatomy scan anatomy scan wow well good good so things settled down a little bit then for you yeah so um we finally decided to i was at maybe like 14 i'm not sure around Mm -hmm. let's see i was i was trying to wait till easter to tell them but i couldn't so i think we did saint patrick's (laughs) um little gift like little little baskets green baskets with gifts and books and all kinds like clothes and little things in them and handed those to my parents and finally announced it and stuff um yeah and I I was just miserable as far as how I felt I felt like crap um I felt nauseous all the time I had a lot of issues with bloating which Mm. I know is common in pregnancies as well but I struggled like I lived off carbs. I lived off mashed potatoes. (laughs) And what else did I live off of? Well, when you're nauseous like that, it's like whatever helps, you know. 
there was a lot I couldn't, and it sucked because on my mail route, I was on a route with a lot of businesses, and I'd walk into these restaurants to deliver mail. And oh, like Chinese food, like this lady, she's so sweet, and they always try to feed me and stuff. And any other time, great. Every time I'd walk in there, I would just tell I couldn't do it. Um, there was like this state farm place that I walked into <laughs> where um, they were heavy smokers in there. Oh, yeah. Those and they smells. smoked outside, but it didn't matter. I walked into that place and I what I would do is I would get the mail ready while I was outside and then I would hold my breath <laughs> as I walked in there. <laughs> deliver their mail hope they didn't talk to me too much and hurry up and get out so I could breathe yeah Um, so that didn't help but I struggled with eating poor Brian like went all over the world to get me different kinds of mashed potatoes Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he would go to Cracker Barrel and oh my gosh I kept wanting different mashed potatoes I didn't want the same kind all the time (laughs) and what else there was something else that I was stuck on it was really just two things though but everything made me really bloated, hmm. uh, like super bloated. I didn't have to eat much before I felt like I was really full and just like uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. So then walk us through, um, you were going to go for your anatomy ultrasound, you said? Um, well, was that about, at 20 weeks or was you I something finally, else? I finally started... Let's see. I don't know when we were together for a family thing, but I finally just went ahead and bought some maternity clothes. And oh my gosh, when putting them pants on with a stretchy belly, it is the best (laughs) feeling ever. Oh. (laughs) And our work clothes are terrible for when you're pregnant. Yeah. (laughs) So I just zipped up my pants a little bit and left left them unbuttoned. Sure. Um, Let's see. So around... 17 weeks I started getting this really bad pain um in my right upper quadrant like of my abdomen up there mm-hmm. uh, and it started out kind of like this a low dull pain like it wasn't severe and I thought okay maybe I'm just you know you get all kinds of little yeah and twitches as you're like things are stretching in there and stuff like that Exactly. Um, so I just thought it was, you know, something normal with all of it. Um, but by that evening, I was laying in bed when Brian got home from work, which is not normal for me in the dark. Like, I was just like, man, I've got this really bad stomach pain. Like, I'm just really uncomfortable. Um, and I had been uncomfortable a lot, but this was just miserable. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to lay in here and just try to go to sleep. And I just couldn't. So around like nine o'clock or something, I was like, I can't take this anymore. And we went to the ER. Okay. Uh, and they took me back there and everything that I was explaining to them sounded like my gallbladder oh. to them. Mm-hmm. So the ER doctor put me, they did an oath, uh, they did an ultrasound, and so that was the first ultrasound where we got to see the baby where it looked like a baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was a girl, but at the time, we didn't know that. Like, they were just making sure the baby was okay, and she did this really big stretch, and I swear her legs were, like, the longest legs ever. Um, <laughs> and they're like, did you feel that? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> mm. And um, so everything looked good, looked, looked good with the baby. Uh, and, but the pictures like with that ultrasound aren't good enough to like see what they needed to see as far as like my gallbladder and stuff. 
and it was like 11 something and they're the ultrasound tech had already left so they sent me home and just you know told me to do low fat um call this number tomorrow to set up an ultrasound so i called off work um set up to go have an ultrasound they got me in you know that day like they squeezed me in whenever like they had a spot so I just Mm -hmm. had to wait Mm -hmm. they did an ultrasound and you know they can't really give you like the results necessarily the ultrasound tech can't but she said nothing like nothing everything looked fine Mm -hmm. to her um I didn't have a regular doctor at the time I just had my OB doctor so I didn't really have any place to like send that to anybody so I called my doctor I said hey like I left a message saying I got an ultrasound done I've been having this really bad stomach pain um they thought with my gallbladder the ultrasound tech says that like she you know doesn't see anything wrong but we have to wait for our doctor to read it and then it just kind of like fell off the face of the earth as far as like having somebody to handle that oh yeah since I didn't have like a regular doctor but um in the end, it didn't really matter, but um, a week later, I guess, went by, or close to a week, and I couldn't take it anymore. I was having that pain. It was getting worse. I couldn't sleep. No position worked. Like, I was miserable. Mm. It was terrible. It's the worst pain I've ever felt besides uh, labor pains now <laughs> yeah. um, that I had ever experienced, and I was just exhausted. So one day when I was at work, I called my doctor. Let's see, I was, I don't know, 18 weeks by that time or no, I was probably 19 weeks mm-hmm. by then. Um, I called my OB and I told her, I was like, I have this terrible pain, like I can't handle it. Um, they, you know, so they checked my ultrasound, everything looked fine there. They asked me some questions. They asked if I had back pain. I said I had some. They were afraid that I had a pulmonary embolism. Oh. So, obviously, if I had had that, I had already survived the worst of it. Uh Uh-huh. But I was like, I called my mom crying because I was so stressed out. Like, I was familiar with what that was and everything. I worked in healthcare. Like, I understood it. But I was just exhausted and stressed and tired and in pain. And I was like, I can't take it anymore. And then it's just going on. It just fell (laughs) off the end, I think. I was sure. like, do you think it's okay to stay at work? Should I leave work now? Because I didn't want to screw people over at work and this and that. And yeah. I ended up waiting until I was done with work or I left a little early um, and went to Big Mercy that used to be St. John's. Right. Right. And they took me in there um, and they weren't good. They, I went to the women's unit or whatever because they have a place for women to go just like that are pregnant to get me in faster. They advised me to go there. I went there. They weren't going to be able to see me right there. They're like, you have to go to the regular ER, but they took my blood pressure and it was slightly elevated, not much, but it was enough that they could keep me in that unit. Oh, good. And then they ended up, um, doing some labs and my liver enzymes were elevated. Mm. So, um, so I was being admitted, but they didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, so I got admitted, I called my husband, let him know, and it just kind of went downhill pretty fast from there on. Okay. Um, it took them a while. They didn't know what was wrong with me. I had all kinds of doctors on my case. I had a hematologist. I had my OB. They put a high risk, uh, maternal fetal medicine doctor to see me. 
Um, and they were drawing like all these different labs. They just didn't know what was wrong. Um, I didn't have any, what made it harder is I didn't have any protein in my urine and I, my, my blood pressure wasn't really like preeclampsia elevated, uh-huh. I guess. So, um, they came in with that same evening at some point or whatever, I guess. They had told me that they thought that I maybe had something called HELP syndrome. So okay. they believe that it's like a variant of preeclampsia, eclampsia. Um, but the HELP syndrome is, it's very rare. Um, they think maybe that it might be not as rare as they originally thought, but you see about 20,000 cases or less per year. Um and it's even less that you see is early. Usually ladies, like when women get it, they get it like at 28 weeks or later. Okay. Um, so you don't see it often. Um, so they were trying to, well, help, help syndrome is the A for yeah. hemolysis, which is the breaking down of red blood cells. The E and L is elevated liver enzymes. And then the L and P are the low platelets. Um. So they were trying everything under the sun. I had so many weird blood tests done. They were okay. trying their hardest Figure to find some type of infection or something because with help syndrome, there's nothing you can do whatsoever except for have the baby. Mm. So they were trying their damnedest to find anything that they possibly could like to give an, a reason for the issues that I was having. Mm-hmm. Um. And they couldn't find, yeah, they couldn't find anything. So I was in this, there's three stages of it. I was in stage one, which is the most severe, um, which is when your platelets are under 50,000. And at that time, mine were, um, I think mine, mine were at that time, they were like 54,000. Okay. But when my platelets bottomed out before I had to do delivery. Um, I was at 44,000. So I was 6,000. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I was under the 50,000, which put me in the most severe um, case of it. But the main, like the doctor said, we can always give you more platelets. Um, We can do that. It's your liver that we're worried about. Um, They were worried about my liver rupturing. Uh, I felt miserable. I couldn't eat anything. They kept wanting me to eat and I couldn't eat. Uh, and I was just, I was miserable. Like it was, it was so painful. So the next day is when, I don't know if it, I think it was around noon. Um, the maternal fetal medicine doctor came in and she's like, I had asked the hematologist. I was like, at what point do we have to give up and I have to deliver? And he gave me a number, like, when my liver enzymes reach this, like, we absolutely can't wait any longer. Um, the very, I was on lab draws every five hours, which was terrible because, one, I hate needles. Two, I'm a very Ugh. hard stick. So I was, like, a pin cushion. I'd have people coming in there that were poking me three times. I had one guy that poked me six times. Like, so every time I got somebody that could draw my blood the first time, I wrote their name down. I had a morning person. I had a middle of the day person. And I had a yeah. night person. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because there was just no places. I had bruises everywhere. Like I was just, you know, yeah. we were running out of places to poke me because they had blown so many veins and just like this and that. Yeah. Um, 
So I was on constant lab draws. And no sooner than he told me that number, probably an hour later, they he came in and said that the numbers had hit, like, past where mm. where they were allowed to be. So the maternal fetal medicine doctor came in around noon, I guess it was, um, and let me know that that we had to induce me. Um, it's to the point now where we are at one funeral or two. Like, my body wasn't going to survive long enough. My body, like, it was beginning. Yeah. It was the middle of the week. I don't remember what it was. Like, she said, like, I wasn't going to survive, like, through the weekend. Um, oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So, my husband. It's pretty urgent then. Huh? Yeah, that sounds like it was pretty yeah, urgent it was very, to it was get urgent some. For sure. Yeah, and that I guess that's how she kind of got it through me. Through to me was like there just there is no other way to wait. Yeah, um, I had seen the baby on the ultrasound a couple of times, like prior to that. You know, they'd come in and ask me if I wanted to see see the baby, and I was like, yeah. Um, so we called my mom because my mom had had a doctor's appointment. Um, so she had gone to that doctor's appointment and. She, uh, my mom, my sister called her and told her it was time. So her, poor her, she was like sitting in the doctor's office and then just like mm. starts crazy crying like that ugly, you know, yeah, terrible happening crying, trying to yeah. tell the people that she's got to go. Um, and then they just moved me down to the delivery room. They had, they put me on, they gave me these, they inserted these pills and in, like inside. Um, to help, I forgot how often every hour, I guess, maybe, um, they would put two in at a time to try to start like, you know, start contractions. Labor. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they stuck me on a magnesium drip Mm. to help keep me, um, from having seizures. Mm. Okay. Like I hadn't had any seizures, but it, it, it can be common. So they stuck me on this magnesium drip and they started it really fast in the beginning. Um, and that was miserable. It makes you really, really hot, like really hot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm always cold. So I had all the fans on. I think they brought a fan in there. Like I <laughs> turned the AC down as low as go. My family's wow. sitting there like with blankets and coats on. Um, and then we just, it was a waiting game at that point. To... Yeah. So, so then how long before you delivered? I don't know exactly. Um, okay. I want to say Just a little while. eight, eight to 12 hours. I can't remember. Maybe, okay. maybe not that long. It felt like a freaking eternity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, when, once, once yeah. they had, they gave me a morphine drip because since my platelets were so low, I couldn't have um, an epidural. So, uh, they gave me a morphine drip to try to help with the pain. And I feel like that (laughs) one thing that my mom said, and it's only funny, like thinking about this exact moment, but, um, in between the contractions, I would start to doze. She was like your head, like you'd be, you'd be going through the contraction, which was miserable. And then as soon as it was finished, like your head start to fall down and your eyes would be closed. And then within seconds, your head was back up again because your next contraction started. Like, they were just back to back to back to back to back. Oh, it was nonstop. Wow. I felt like I couldn't <laughs> breathe. Like, and that yeah. magnesium dried my mouth out. So, like, I couldn't hardly swallow. And so I took a mm-hmm. big gulp of water, and then that made me sick. And I threw up. And oh, it was goodness. just, yeah, it, that I hate. <laughs> I never, I hope I never have to be on magnesium again. Um, yeah. 
So then you delivered and you had indicated it was a little girl. So how did she do? Um, she you didn't passed, indicated they had asked earlier. If I still wanted to see an ultrasound of her, you know, at one point, and finally I was just like, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. Excuse me. You're all right. Take your time. I was like, I can't. I can't. Um, take seeing her little heartbeat again. Mm-hmm. Knowing that we're making the decision to end her life and I know that we had no other choice and it didn't help but we had to wait for the board of the hospital to approve for us to have you know technically an abortion in a way like I mean it's by technical terms that's what it is like we are ending a pregnancy so we had to wait for them to approve that Mm -hmm. before we even went downstairs which just made it that much shittier I don't know if I can say that sorry you sure um (laughs) But made that that much crappier. So they had asked me if I wanted to see, you know, her heartbeat before we started, like, the medication and stuff to induce labor. And I said, no, I just can't. I can't stand hearing it again. Yeah. Knowing that we're ending her life. You know, because she was a perfectly healthy baby. Yeah. So um, once my water broke, it was super easy. I pushed her out. She was easy to push out. Um, she had already, she passed sometimes, sometime during, you know, labor, um, probably during the contractions and mm-hmm. all that madness. Um, and she came out, but she was perfect. Like, um, she was exactly 20 weeks one day, uh, when I had her. And so she, um, she was, her skin was really red cause her skin was so thin. So, um, yeah. it was almost like it was translucent, but she didn't have any skin tears like she she was just like a perfect baby she was just really tiny she was Mm -hmm. uh 6.8 ounces um at that moment that's when they told me that it was a girl at while I was while I had gotten moved down to labor and delivery we hadn't picked a name for her yet well we hadn't picked a name yet you know Mm -hmm. we were so just we were kind of waiting until the anatomy scan because things had been so terrible for us before we picked a name. So we literally sat there while I was, um, before I had the heavy contractions, um, and picked out a name. And that's when we decided on Ellie, Ellie Marie. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's pretty. Well, we picked a boy and a girl name cause we didn't know. So when she came out, that's when we, you know, we gave them the names and they were great. Like during delivery, um, it was just like, if you were having a baby that was alive, like everybody, you know, ooh and ah, she's so cute, and this and that, and they wrapped her up and uh, laid her on my chest. And then we got to spend the next, gosh, I don't know, I guess we did four or five hours before mm-hmm. we sent her down um, to the morgue. So um, the yeah. nurse we had was amazing. Like, oh, good. She was the best part. Like, oh, I love her to this day. She, it didn't feel weird having her with us in the room, like, while we're going through all this. After I was cleaned up and we just, it was me, Brian, and the baby. Um, She helped us give her a bath, um, clean her up. Like, she pointed out her little fingernails. She had little bitty fingernails. And you could see her little eyelashes. And Mm. so, um, and then she helped pick out, like, a, 
you know, a couple of blankets and she went and got her a couple of hats and she brought back these little crocheted angel wings and she made it very, um, I didn't know how we would feel about uh, taking pictures. Yeah. Like you just, I don't know, like nothing ever prepares you for this. It's like, it's weird to take pictures of your, um, your, your dead baby. Like, is that odd? Like, are we allowed to do that? Like, should we do that? Um, and she made us very comfortable with doing that. And we did, we took pictures, like Brian's holding her little feet and her hand and, um, Mm -hmm. we took a picture together. And then the, the nurse put her in her blankets and her hats and her little angel wings and took, and took some amazing pictures of her in the, in the other room. Once we were done, like spending time, like we let my family come in there. Um, they mm-hmm. had a separate waiting area for my family that nobody else was allowed to be in um, off to the side so that they didn't have to see people like celebrating and sure. things like that. Yeah. So that was really great. And then nurse was super great with my family. Like she went in there, talked to them, cried with them. Like she was just amazing. Like I love mm-hmm. her. Um, that's, that's awesome. Well, and I think that they, No, and it's great that they encouraged you to do the pictures and stuff. And I think what you said, like, you know, is it is it okay? Is it is it normal or you know, take pictures of a baby that has passed away? But I think everyone that I've talked to cherishes those pictures. Oh yes, like you know, and those that haven't taken pictures wish they would have. Yeah. So I think the nurses know that and just really encourage that all to happen. I just don't even know how they, um, how they do it. I could not do that. Yeah. Um, I think they just know how rewarding it is and how helpful it will be for those moms and dads, you know, those couples down the road, you know, that they just know the benefit of doing that for the, the couple, just all part of, the healing, yeah. the grieving, and they know that that's a big part of it. So I think that's well, kind of what pushes them my, through it. That my family got to see her and yeah. got to hold her. And it's made a huge, a huge difference. And like with her pictures, like we have her picture on her urn and which was a whole nother thing that you don't think about having, have, having to do. Well, and you shouldn't have to think about like, that. Well, I mean, for sure. Just, yeah. Even after, even after, you know, we lost her and stuff and we sent her down to the morgue. Um, it's like the next day. Well, and that's the crazy thing. The next day I was able to eat. Like they said things get worse before they could get better. My stuff could still drop like this and that. Like um, they gave me stuff to help me sleep because I was still having the pain in my liver. But um mm-hmm. Like, the next day, my labs were already doing, like, my liver enzymes were dropping, which was good. My platelets were coming up. And they said that that could take months before my platelets were normal again. And I think my platelets were normal in two weeks. Um, I felt so much better the next day physically as far as, like, my body goes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was able to eat. And all the nurses were great. But then that's when the lady comes in that, you know, brings you all the information for grieving and Mm -hmm. Um, that you'll need to pick out a, um, funeral home to either, if you want to have a service, you can't, but, um, like for cremation or whatever it is that you choose. And I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah, I don't know. You just, I don't know. 
Yeah. So we picked one close to home. Um, and I, of course, that was another terribly miserable experience. Like I got to go home. I was in the hospital, I think for a week. I got to go home that Friday. Finally, like, like I couldn't pee by myself or anything while I was from the magnesium. Like somebody had to be with me because it makes you kind of unsteady. So when I was finally off that and I could walk around and we had people visiting um, this and that, I finally got to go home, which was great because I just wanted to go home and grieve with my husband. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, there's always somebody in the room drawing blood or a doctor talking to you or a family member. I love them, but, you know, somebody's always there and you just want to go home and cry with your husband. Um, and we still had to deal with the fact that we had to set up something at a funeral home. Right. So. Yeah. But they told yeah. us how to do that and how, to, you know, how to find and you know, they let you know, like, if they charge over this much, like, don't like either it's free or you get a, a, a big discount like it they didn't it sucks that there's people out there that would screw you over in a time like this yeah but they, they prepare you for that like if it's you know if they're charging like four six hundred or something dollars like don't go, go to that place yeah go somewhere else but uh that brought up a whole new set of questions like because i was so afraid like you hear these random stories about when people when people get cremated and stuff like their ashes being mixed up or mixed Mm. like just all kinds of things. So I wanted them to explain me how the process works. Do they check in with this place? Like think questions that I never even thought that I would even think of on my own, like were coming out of my mouth. Like, cause I was so worried. Um, yeah. About not getting her ashes back or something like, yeah, but we didn't, we didn't do a funeral. We decided just to have her cremated. Um, we got a cute little pink. It looks like a baby shoe urn. It's got her picture on it. Um, so that's what we did as far as yeah. that goes. Yeah. So how then was the grieving for you? Did you find support to help you with the grieving? Did you and your husband just grieve together? Um, we grieved or did, together. Or did you grieve? <laughs> I mean, or um, did you feel like, okay, we, we still want to have a child? Did you... You know, some people just like shut that down and don't even Um, grieve. At that time, we didn't think anything about um, another child at the moment. Okay. Okay. Probably the next few days, just, um, I don't know, randomly crying. Uh, Sure. Just held up in the home, like, you know, people checked on us and stuff. But, yeah. You know, he, he, my husband is very throw himself into work. And I'm lay around and just wallow in my misery type of person. So we are opposite with that. But um, I had seen a side from my husband that I had never seen before. Like I've never seen him cry up until the night that he held, you know, Ellie. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he had a few rough mornings. Like, you know, he'd say that he cried on his way to work and cried on his way home and, um, it was just it's hard really nothing else to do but just be sad and cry yeah (laughs) um they had offered us like help with a group that they have at mercy um i wasn't quite ready for that and i'm not gonna lie i still haven't okay taken them up on that offer um i do have facebook groups that i belong to and i feel like that helps me um 
my mom has lost a child. My sister had a, a fantastically easy pregnancy. Um, so my mom understands, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted current, like people that were suffering now to like share, I guess with like, I hate that other people are suffering. I hate to say it like that, but but it, it, is, it is what it is like that is yeah. happening. So I just joined those groups. Um, I always wanted to share pictures of Ellie, but I never did because you hear like there was a couple of times where people stole pictures. Mm. Um, so I don't, I didn't do that. So the only people that have seen her is if they come to the house and they look at her urn or um, if they were there and saw her, saw her, I don't like my mom has pictures, things like that. Um, yeah. So we just, um, I don't know. He worked and I, I don't know. Yeah. Just did stuff around the house. Like my doctor really wanted me to take like, um, a month off. Yeah. Well, with everything else besides the loss, everything that your body endured. I think I took two weeks. I told her I couldn't take any longer than that. If I did that, I was going to fall into a deeper depression than I already was okay um just being home like with nothing to do but think about it and Mm -hmm. on my route it's kind of the same I drive a mail truck like you got nothing more than to think about all the crappiness but at least I was off doing something Mm -hmm. um I just didn't want I was on a business route and everybody pretty much knew what happened um my coworkers were amazing and the person that was running my route, um, I felt weird asking him this, but at the same time, like didn't at the same time was like, if they ask, you're welcome to tell them. I kind of wanted everybody prepared because everybody knew I was pregnant at work and on my route, like all the businesses I go into and I didn't want them asking me because I didn't want to do the breaking down of, you know what I mean? Like, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. Sure. sure. Yeah. So he got totally understandable. when I come in. And I probably cried like five or six times hugging people on my route anyways, but I wanted the majority prepared. So I didn't have everybody asking me like what happened or, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and, yeah, that it just takes time. You know, and you're, you're never, and, and you, I'm sure, will attest to this, it, that it's never completely gone. Oh, you heck know? no. I still have it's, ups and downs. Sometimes yeah. every other day. Sometimes I have a bad month. Yeah. Um, it just. Yeah. It just depends. I don't know. Yeah. So with all of that, at some point, I know just from talking to you earlier, you decided to try again. Yes. Um, and I then, don't know how long after yeah. it was. And, um, then more, it, and then more miscarriages, correct? Yes. The doctor wanted me to wait at least three months, but wait until I was mentally ready. Um, I don't know when it was. Four months, five, six months. I don't remember. Somewhere right around there. Yeah. We decided to. Um, I had a mis- early miscarriage, like, five weeks. I don't, I don't know. It was really early. And then Mm -hmm. we got pregnant again. I don't know how long it was after that again. Um, and then I had another early miscarriage. 
(laughs) So I went and saw my maternal fetal medicine doctor. Um, She now has me. She wants to throw everything that we can at this. Um, So I'm on a low-dose aspirin. Um, We're not currently trying at this moment. Um, After we weren't married yet, and then we we, we went ahead and got married in October, like mm-hmm. we had originally planned. Um, I lost Ellie May of last year. So we went ahead and got married in October, which was our original date to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and I totally lost my train of thought. I don't know what I was getting it's ready to okay. say. <laughs> <laughs> so your uh, doctor wanted to throw everything into this with the uh, aspirin. And, and so what else? So low dose you... aspirin. Oh, uh-huh. I didn't. We're not currently trying, so I'm not doing the heparin shots right now because it's only something I need to start doing, like, when we're getting ready to start trying. Okay. Um, after we got married and I didn't have anything to do again, I fell into a depression. I've gained a lot of, like, 50, 60 pounds. So I'm trying to work with the health coach right now to get that weight off, um, to try to go in as healthy as I possibly can. Okay, good. Um. So I'm at a higher risk to get preeclampsia or HELP syndrome again, (coughs) but I'm at a lower risk to get it as early um, as I did and as strong, as bad as I did. So there's that. Um, And and why is that? Why Why are you to get it? Yeah. Why are you at a less risk now? Oh, why am I at a less risk of getting it as severe and as early? Yeah. I don't actually know. Okay. Okay. I didn't <laughs> um, know. I'm like, it's, hmm, that's interesting. It's hard to get answers from it. That just kind of comes from like what studies show. Okay. So help syndrome, preeclampsia, all that they can't study because they can't, you know, pull out. Right. It's a placental issue and they can't take that out while you're pregnant to study it. And they can't put it in animals because it's just a human disease. So they, there's no way for them to really find out exactly what causes it or what makes it happen or anything like that. Um, So just from history of ladies having it, it shows that I have a higher chance to get it. My mom had preeclampsia with a baby that she lost at 38 weeks from Mm. placental abruption um so they don't know for sure but they're thinking it's hereditary which or that it can be so that would make sense yeah as far as that goes um yeah so really the the heparin has shown like a five percent chance of helping it's very small but if i'm in that five percent it will make a huge difference in my life yeah. so yeah so we're ready to start trying once I can get myself back under control and stop eating every cupcake that sits down <laughs> in front of me <laughs> well this is a difficult time of the year to it is to and endure you know, that people are getting pregnant and that always takes a toll um yeah yeah you know and then of course you notice every single person that gets pregnant 10 times yeah. more as well so it's just a whole, whole process. Yeah. The one thing I'm thankful for is I don't feel uncomfortable talking about Ellie. My family talks about Ellie. Um, like it's not something that we keep hidden or and that makes a huge difference. 
So. Good. And, and I think the women that I have talked to and men, you know, that people are afraid sometimes to talk about a child that was lost um, because they don't want to upset that person. But I have found and what I have heard is it's even more upsetting for people to forget that child and not mm -hmm. talk about it. Because that's, if it's your child, you're assuming that they've totally forgotten. Um, most moms especially want to remember that child and they want everyone else to remember that child. So well, yeah, like we hadn't announced on Facebook or anything. So I went on there and I did a post and um, they had put her footprints on our hands. Uh-huh. Um, and let me say that was the hardest thing ever to let Ooh. go of was that footprint on my hand. Yeah. Um, I even put um, that clear Band-Aid stuff on it because I didn't want it to wash off. Mm. So I was heartbroken. That was a whole nother heartbreak, just letting that little, you know, and we have our footprints, but it was just, it was on my skin and I wanted it to stay there forever. Yeah. Um, and I do. I have her feet tattooed on my ankle now inside a heart yeah. and everything. But, um, yeah. Like, people don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to say when you do talk about a child that you've lost. Um, it's just one of them subjects that you're just, I guess, not supposed to talk about. But if we could make a world where it's okay to talk about that, and yeah, it would be so much nicer. And I understand, like, what do you say to somebody like when they say that, like, you know what I mean? That they've lost a baby. People, I don't even know what to say to people when, if they say that to me, yeah. it's just one of those uncomfortable situations. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and so. I, when I, I did a episode and a few, gosh, probably a month ago on just that things to say, things not to say, you know? Um, and so it is hard. It is hard to know what to say. And I think the biggest thing is don't ever say, I know how you feel because people don't really know how you feel. Yes. Another you know, thing, to just apologize, just, you know. Uh, another thing to not say is everything happens for a reason. Oh, yeah. That's a hard one. I, if one person said that to me, I went through a very angry phase. Like, mm. I just was angry with everything, everybody. My family, like, I treated so many people like crap during preparing for my wedding because mm -hmm. I really had trouble um, enjoying it and caring. And I, all I wanted to do was just be married. I wanted to be married to Brian, and that was it. Like, I wanted the rest of the wedding just to throw itself together, and I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, so I went through a very angry period with that, and um, I was like, if any and because somebody had said something to me that you know everything happens for a reason and I they were lucky that I just didn't <laughs> beat them up in that moment and sure like all I could see was red and it's it's also moments like that that you don't always tell people because it just takes one wrong thing to like turn that switch that like they just said the very wrong thing and I think I'm gonna go and go like in crazy mode and yeah, might just be me. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So yeah, it's tough. and I, th yeah, it is, it is. And, and I think me... as a as a society, we don't know. We're not educated on yeah. it. And you when know... I saw my doctor, my high risk doctor, and she put me on all that stuff, I had asked her like, "Is there anything that we can do to help me with 
my anxiety, which leads to depression when I'm pregnant, because I was so anxious and stressed out during my pregnancy with Ellie that I fell into a depression while I was pregnant with her Mm. because I was just always so stressed and worried and anxious. And um, so I was like, well, it's only going to be worse next time. And they have put me on Lexapro to prepare for that, like to hopefully help with that. Um, And in turn, it's actually helped me now more than like, I thought I just needed it for, for my future pregnancy, but really, yeah, it's helped Helping with my, yeah, it's helped with my anger. And since I don't really go to a counselor and deal with stuff, uh, unfortunately I'm that person that a medication, it's not that medication's bad. I just haven't tried other things. So the medication works for me. So I, yeah, you know, well, and I think that's a big thing is people need to find what works for them, you know, and, and, and just do it and don't feel guilty or ashamed or anything for that. Everyone, and especially with grieving, you know, you, you have to, you're the only one that knows what is best for you, mm-hmm. you know, and even we talked a little bit about, you know, people saying things to you and, and other people saying things to other people. You could say the exact same thing to someone that has lost, you know, a child and it could be taken two different ways, you know, but there are definitely things that you don't say, you know, like you talked about. (laughs) So, yeah. So I want to go ahead and end with this. I would like you to share anything else that you can think of um, during the the time of the miscarriages and the loss, especially the loss of, of Ellie, that you would like to share and also any advice or encouragement that you'd like to give to the listeners. I think what's difficult um, for me um, and maybe and for you is you still are do not have a family, you know, here with you living you have Ellie and and she's always with you but you don't have those children to raise um but any words of encouragement anything you'd like to share or advice um yeah it it's it it does stink that we don't have we don't have like what our ultimate end that we want we don't have that family um I did forget like and just in case anybody goes through this um, at the same time that I did, as far as like, you know, 19, 20 weeks, um, my milk did come in as well. Mm. I forgot to mention that. Um, and I didn't realize that at first I, did, I had said to my husband, I'm like, I feel like my boobs are bigger. And I didn't think anything of it. And then that mm-hmm. next day I woke up and they were just, they were huge. And um, my milk had come in. So I had to deal with that for another two to three weeks afterwards because it's a slow process to make it go away. Um, Yeah. So just in case anybody listens to this, that is something that you could possibly have to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, So as far as advice goes, uh, I thought about this because I knew that it was going to be asked and it's a really hard thing to answer. Yeah. Just because okay. I don't have um, 
that specific like I don't go to counseling um I don't it's just not for me and maybe it would help but um if it's what you want if a family is what you want like keep trying keep trying like keep I there's so many times that I have thought to myself like I don't think I can do this anymore like it's a toll on your body it's a painful experience physically and mentally um but you don't realize how strong you are until you have to be like Mm. I feel like I was forced to be that strong and you don't realize like how much you can actually handle until you are forced to do it um I have my ups and downs every day I still have a bad month sometimes I still get sad a lot looking at people's pictures but I try to stay positive about it and I um from people that I know that have I know multiple people that it took them like eight and ten years um and they they ended up having a baby and of course I don't I hope that mine doesn't take that long but yeah. I just when you think things are hopeless like it can still happen like you know I carried Ellie 20 weeks and got something unrelated to my original like my early on complications so I know I can carry a baby so the best advice I have is just um keep keep the hope and keep trying and try to stay positive and I really feel like that's all that I have because I'm still going through it myself. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that is, that is huge. Great advice, and, especially and coming from, yeah. To. Like I'm not comfortable like with a counselor, but I'm comfortable with people that are going through the same thing as me. Yeah. 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 And Facebook just seems to be my way of it. Not going to like a group, but online works better for me yeah so well and I think that that says a lot that sometimes it's better to um not even to find a complete stranger stranger that has gone through something very similar to what you're going through to connect to and get that support that you need and I love that you're giving the advice to keep going I love that you are continuing your efforts, everything that you can do um, to have a family. Um, and, and I believe um, by the grace of God that you will, you will have that family um, to love. Whew, I sure hope so because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely yeah. tough. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And time yeah. is well, not on my side. I'm 38 and we just... We need to get moving. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you got time. You got I time. Know. You got time. So, yeah. We've all read of those women that are, that are older. You know, it, there's a little higher risk, but there have been a lot of successful pregnancies, 38 and older. So, there's still that hope and, and holding out that hope. Yeah. So. Well, Shannon, I very much appreciate you coming on um, and sharing your story, um, the loss of Ellie and the other miscarriages that you have. Um, It's very difficult 
it's very obvious that it's been a difficult journey so far, but we are definitely, I'm glad that you came and we are definitely going to keep you, I will keep you in my prayers um, as you continue on your journey. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon, for coming on today to share your story. You have endured so much pain, physically and emotionally. But you are such an inspiration, the hope that you have to have a family here on earth to love. You're such an inspiration. I'm sure that you are going to inspire others with your story. So thank you again, and thank you listeners for taking the time today to listen to Shannon's story. I hope that it has inspired you. I hope it's given you hope to keep going, whether you, whatever you're struggling with or if you've had losses like Shannon. If you would like to connect with me, um, reach out to me at Women Connect and Support on Facebook. I would love to connect with you. If you have a story that you would like to share on the podcast, please reach out to me. Our stories are just so important to share. They honor the children that have been lost, the struggles that we are going through. And that is most important for women that have gone through loss to honor those children. When you become pregnant, your life is forever changed. And then when there is a loss, it is changed dramatically again. So it's important to share those stories with others because those babies mattered. No matter how long their life was, they mattered. And let's share their story. If you thought of someone that this could help on their journey, please share this podcast. That is how we help so many more people through their struggles, their journeys, to know that they're not alone, is by your help in sharing this podcast, either on social media or copy the link and text them. I just so much appreciate all of that as I continue my passion to help so many couples share their stories because they're so powerful and we know that they will always inspire others and give them hope on their journey.